Thank you very much. And good evening, all. I'll just come a bit closer. It feels far away up there. <laughs> nice to be down here. Great. Well, Mike already pointed us to the direction that we are going to go tonight. Because um, I don't know whether you've noticed, but we've been going through several seasons of um, themes. And really, it's all down to our motto as a church, love God, love people, make a difference. And, uh, you know, we've had a series on building the family and then another series on shining brightly. And so the third part of the series around our motto is living courageously, which is basically all about expressing our calling and gifts, living in countercultural ways. So it was sweet this morning, Bex was asking uh, the congregation, you know, who was feeling sometimes not so bold and, you know, needed courage. And there was a little boy in the congregation who said, oh, when I was at Wild Woods, you know, the, the kind of stuff right up there in the trees where you have to balance and, you know, hook yourself in with the harness and slide along. So he said, that's when I needed courage. And he said there was one activity and I didn't have a harness on. And then Bex, uh, Bex very quickly said, yeah, there are often in life situations where you don't actually feel like you've got a harness available, you know, and you need extra courage. And I think um, that is so true. And it's therefore quite an important subject, I think. I've been given quite an odd <laughs> sort of scripture to read about this uh, subject. Let's uh, open our Bibles, if you have it, to the first um, chapter of the book of Exodus. Well, it's, it's not that weird because we're going to look at the book of Exodus together over the next few weeks, um, but it's just kicking it off with this one. Uh, you'll see it's quite interesting. So the book of Exodus, chapter 1, I'll just read from verse 1 and then uh, read you the story right through to verse 22. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is, Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. You can already feel the tension rising in this story. Verse 8. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the, the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom, and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. 
So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shif Shifra yeah, and Pua, the names of the midwives, in case you need one. So, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. <laughs> so God was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. What an extreme situation they find themselves in. And if you don't know the book of Genesis and what has gone before, especially with Joseph and his brothers and the family there, you might not realize how damaging it is that actually the new king had completely forgotten to read his history books. You see, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers because they were envious about him and they were pretty fed up, and so they sold him into slavery. Joseph arrives in Egypt, and he's basically promoted after a time of struggle. So his life is going up and down and up and down. And this is life, isn't it? Going up and down. And sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's pretty tense. Up and down. Jesus came to give us life abundantly, you know? And that means sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's really, really challenging. And Joseph was one of those people who uh, knew that life can be like this. But he actually was promoted into a place of honor. And God made way for him in Egypt. And Joseph was a clever man. And in times of hunger and uh, famine, he built big storehouses and made Pharaoh, the Pharaoh at the time, a very rich person. And, uh, you know, when his family heard about the fact that there's food to be had in, in Egypt, they actually made their way to Goshen, which is a region in Egypt, and uh, they met with Joseph, and Joseph, uh, you know, re, uh, how would you say that in English, um, reconciled with his brothers, and he came back together with them, and he stayed uh, you know, he, he gave them food, and the pharaoh then said, okay, your family can settle down in Goshen, and they then became very prosperous. But you see, with uh, the population growth, their popularity diminished, and it wasn't so easy. From Goshen to Canaan is now the journey that is set before them. And Jacob his, and his brothers had passed away. Uh, sorry, Joseph and his brothers had passed away. And with their passing, also the memory of his courage had passed away. 
I just want you to have a little overview over the book of Exodus so that you know where this is going as we are going through the next few Sundays. You see, because God is inviting us to witness the birth of a nation. God has got a plan for these people. And he's inviting us to read all about Egypt, which is the delivery suite of what he wants to birth at this time in this nation. And as you look at the book of Exodus, you look at the chapters 1 to 12, and what you read in 1 to 12 is all about domination. And you see that paralleled in the New Testament, where there's talk of bondage and slavery to sin. Then in chapter 13 to 18, you read about the liberation of the people uh, of Israel from Egypt. They can walk out of Egypt, and they're saved, and they're walking uh, with God through the desert. You read about salvation in the New Testament and the way that God is freeing us from the bondage and slavery of sin. Then in chapter 19 to 31, we read about God's revelation to his people as the one who is the great I am. And he is revealing himself also as the provider, the one that looks after them in every single situation. Sometimes they have no food, they cry out to God, and suddenly it rains <laughs> meat and and stuff that looks funny, and they say, what is it? Which is the Hebrew word, manna. So they call it manna. What is it? You know? And uh, so they start eating and being fed. So revelation. Well, in the New Testament, we see the sanctification through the Holy Spirit who's providing and re re revealing to us who we are in Christ. And then, of course, chapters 32 through to 40, it's all about the identification of the people of God as the ones who are the people of the covenant who are walking with God. And they're learning what it means to be the nation that belongs to this amazing Father in heaven. And in the New Testament, of course, again, we read about our new identity in Christ and who we are in Him, and therefore we become the people of God and have been made the people of God with uh, the uh, people of Israel. So you see parallels in this book of Exodus, what's happening there, and then what's happening later on in the New Testament for all the world as uh, a, an offering of peace. So they are here in Goshen, a region in Egypt, and it's a place of ease which now becomes a place of troubles. So they've been living there for quite some time, and it was a wonderful time. Food was, you know, everywhere, and, and you know, families were flourishing, everybody was happy about it. But suddenly, it, you know, it becomes not so comfortable anymore, because the old pharaoh has died, a new one is there, he doesn't remember, and therefore they're being put under pressure. Ease and troubles are meant to make us fit for the journey which leads to rest and home. You see, life in its entirety, with its highs and lows, is meant to make us fit for the journey. Because our responses to what's happening around us, these circumstances we find ourselves in, are there to uh, help us to, to understand who our Father in heaven is. So if it's just going good forever, and you, you, know, you, you never have any... <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like, like when you when you're sitting you know, at, at a desk and, and you, your muscle is never challenged to move, you're getting weak. But you know, circumstances, because you have to walk and you have to train, suddenly you realize you're getting stronger and you're, you're managing 
to deal with life in its entirety. And you're learning that circumstances are not Lord, and the circumstances aren't your God. And that's why uh, you see it's important that we understand that ease and troubles are both important in life, and they have their place. It's not that God sends the trouble, but you know, it's there to be still walked through in order for us to understand more of Him. So we tend to misuse them both, letting ease sink us in earthly delights, oblivious to the great hope that is set before us. So easy just to sit back when it's going good, to not pray anymore, not to read the Bible, forget a bit about God, you know, just going off and enjoying ourselves on our yacht, you know, flying off to New Zealand or whatever we want to do, <laughs> you know. But anyway, so, and... The other danger is letting the troubles embitter our spirits. And when it's getting tough, suddenly you turn in on yourself and say, God, where are you? It's, it's so hard, you know. I didn't sign up for this to be so hard. Why, why is this wind so strong against me? And we there, thereby fail to let ease as well as troubles impel us to seek things that are above. Both are meant for us to seek our Father in heaven every situation. Paul writes about this. In fact, he says, you know, I've learned to be content in every situation, whether I've got, you know, crust on Monday or caviar on Tuesday. It doesn't matter. I am content because I know Christ, and that's all I need. I know that God has always enough for me, and he's looking after us, and I have a hope, and I know where I'm going. So, when I look at this word courageous, you see, in, in the Hebrew, it's not that difficult because it means courageous, <laughs> you know, but I, I think to unpack it a little bit, it's good to look at also what it means in the Greek because it, it shows us, uh, also from the New Testament perspective, just how to understand that. I'm excited that we are introduced to two women here who show extreme courage in a situation that is really life-threatening and dangerous. They're midwives who are living for the fact that they want life to be birthed into this world. And they're now challenged and said, you know, you shall be undertakers rather than, you know, helping life to come along. Now that's a bit of a, a tall ask. The fact that they stand up against the most powerful person in the country shows that they have a great courage which is linked to the fear of God. They have reverence before their God in heaven. No man should ever ask you to do something when you know that God is against it. It doesn't matter how powerful. And these midwives, they know we are here to help life to flourish, to bring life into the situation. And you know, they are clever. They know how to deal with this situation. Because even though they might not think what will happen when we come before the Pharaoh and if he's challenging us, they're just going with the flow and letting all the boys live. And then when they're challenged, they come up with this great plan and say, look, the Hebrew women are just, they're just amazing, man. They just pop out these things here. We can't even get there in time. And I know, you know, I've been in a delivery suite several times in my life, um, not to give birth myself, but to support my wife. <laughs> and she's, um, you know, she's, she's very experienced in giving birth. 
<laughs> and, uh, and so our six children were born, and, but you know, every birth was so different. We had, you know, births, I won't point them out now, but you know, <laughs> some of our children took their time. I mean, I'm sure they were busy. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, it could take hours of labor and pain. And then finally, the birth was there. I think Lucia has already gone because she's been here this morning, so I don't want to frighten her. <laughs> but, you know, um, and there was one particular birth, uh, and it was one of those situations that got really complicated. And um, suddenly, you know, my wife lost a lot of blood, and our son, you know, I don't know. I, well, it was just this situation where there was a lot of blood, and suddenly loads of doctors, and it was a bit like Formula One. You know, my wife was kind of, you know, <laughs> cranked up, wheels off, you know, wheeled off, and wires everywhere, and, you know, off she went to the operating theater. And at that moment, you know, the lady, who, who was, you know, I was then alone in the delivery suite, you know, <laughs> what can you do? And, and one of the midwives said to me, oh, you know, it'll be all right. I said, you know, what about my wife? And she says, well, you know, hmm. So anyway, I was praying like crazy and crying, you know, and I'm just, ah, I'm in a mess. But, you know, after 10 minutes, I hear this scream. I mean, it was a baby scream. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> My wife was knocked out, she, she was gone at the time, but, you know, and I heard this voice, and in came the midwife, and she said, lie down on the delivery table. I said, all right, <laughs> lie down on the delivery table. She said, open your shirt, pop, 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 and uh, she put my son onto my chest, you know, and you can close your shirt now, you know, and she gave me a towel and everything. He looked a mess. <laughs> he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be seen like this today, I tell you. But uh, so there he was, and all comfortable, and, and I said, how's my wife doing? Oh, yeah, I, I can't remember what they said, but it was to the effect of they're working, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be good. So <laughs> I wasn't so, you know, it was a real challenging situation. It was frightening, and I needed courage. All I could do was I could pray in the Spirit, because I didn't know how to pray. But you know, when the Bible talks about speaking in tongues, it's not just for Pentecostals, by the way. It's for everyone. Because it, the Spirit helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray. And it's our prayer language. And he's saying, you can have it. And so I was praying and praying, and I was singing over Judson. And, and, and you know, we called him Judson because it means son of Judah, son of worship. And I thought every cry out of this little boy's mouth is proclaiming in the face of the enemy that God is greater. And that was our heart when we named him like that. And you see, that was a, a very difficult situation, a, a, a difficult time. But, you know, Coralie pulled through, everything was fine, and we were so grateful. But it was a challenging time, and, and it needed courage. It needed courage. And where did I get it? It was given to me by the encourager, the Spirit of God. And that's where you get it. See, we had another birth, and this time it was a girl. Now, she popped out like a cork out of a champagne bottle. <laughs> the, the, I mean, you know, 
the midwife didn't have a chance to get her gloves on. The midwife didn't get her gloves on, she didn't even get her tool roll rolled out, you know. No pliers, no, no, no screwdrivers, nothing. You know, she didn't have a chance to get ready. And there she was. And so, you know, this is what these women are talking about. The Hebrew women are just like that, you know, they're just... I think it's important that we understand what courage means. Now, Paul talks about courage in his letter to the Corinthians right at the end. He's finishing off uh, with this verse, and he says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. Now, this word, be courageous, literally means be a man. And, uh, you know, I find it interesting that that's what it says in the Greek, but what it really means is be responsible and courageous by taking the initiatives God reveals through faith. That's what it means. And sometimes men are good at it, and sometimes women are good at it. We see it in both cases. It doesn't mean who's better at it. We all need courage, and we all need to take courage. Sometimes we have it, sometimes we don't have it. But what Paul is saying, be responsible and courageous by taking the initiative God reveals through faith. Can you see the closeness between courage and faith? Faith is trusting in the things that you cannot see, but God has promised already. And you believe in them as if they were already there. This is this word, andritzomai, properly to act as a man, as a full-grown, mature man, to be responsible and courageous by taking the initiative God reveals, directly associated with faith. So you see... These women who were midwives in the book of Exodus, they, they feared the Lord. And you see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And that's important for us to know. We are great in studying stuff and getting trained up and so on. But, you know, if you really want to be wise, if you really want to know something, then fear the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 you see, at Christmas, we were contemplating the courage of God. Do you know that God is courageous? Well, God is so courageous that he entrusted himself to a woman named Mary and to a man named Joseph. And he was conceived. Jesus was conceived in Mary. And Jesus' self-gift and courage prepared Mary and Joseph to respond with courage themselves. God showed courage and said, are you up for it, Mary? And Mary said, yes, I am. It be unto me as you say. You see, you're not alone in needing courage. And it's important for you to understand that God wants you to stand courageously, but he's showing you how. You see, you can take courage. We read in Acts 23, the following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. You can take it. We look at it in different ways here. You can keep up your courage. So there was Paul again on his way, uh, you know, over the sea in a boat. The waves were high. The boat was rocking. The circumstances were against him. Great storm, the beast from the east, as they say. And he was in the middle of this storm. The people were freaked out. And, and they didn't know what to do. 
And Paul says to the whole crew, and Paul is a prisoner at that time, and he says to the soldiers and everyone around, Last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Just think a moment here. Paul, a prisoner, in a situation, and an angel appears to him and tells him, you must go to trial in front of Caesar. And Paul says, you know, because I'm going to a trial, therefore you know that I'm going to get there, and you are here with me, so you're the lucky ones. And in the middle of that situation, Paul is not concerned about his own freedom and circumstances. He is encouraging others, even though his own circumstances are dire. But his circumstances actually haven't changed because he is in Christ. And therefore, he's not afraid what Caesar will say in the trial. So he will stand in Christ before Caesar, the emperor of Rome, and go through the trial and, you know, he won't even need to be afraid. That's where his courage is coming from. In Psalm 107, we read that courage also can melt away. Did you know that? Again, this psalm talks about people who are at sea, and there was, again, people, uh, people at sea, and, and the, the waves were high, and it says, they reeled and staggered like drunkards. They mounted up to the, the waves mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths, and their peril, their courage melt, melted away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Does that remind you of someone in the New Testament? There were waves sometimes. And the disciples seemed to be lost, and Jesus walked on the water. He calmed the storm. He was asleep in the boat. But, you know, he is a man who was courageous, and he knew the one who was providing courage. Now, we read in Second Samuel that courage can be actually lost as well. Have you lost your courage? When Ish-bosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage and all Israel became alarmed. News can be very discouraging. We can lose courage very quickly. It's a dangerous position to be in. But you see, Paul is saying in Acts 4, 12, no, sorry, this is not Paul, this is Luke writing about Acts, uh, that courage can actually be seen. There were Peter and John and they were preaching, and they were preaching this message. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind in which we must be saved. And when they, the people, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And that's the key here. You see, courage can be seen when you've been with God. It kind of glows People can see it. And I'm so, I, I love this part because Peter and John, they are very bold and courageous in proclaiming the gospel about Jesus Christ amongst the people who are not so pleased to hear that message necessarily. And you see, your story needs to be birthed at this time, in this town, at this stage, 
in our lives, in our culture. I believe that God is birthing something through our church here in Guildford or in the towns around in our diocese because he's got you and because he's got your lives that tell a story and you have got something that you have lived through and you haven't lived through it alone but you have lived through it with God. And there are incredible ministries run out of this church. You know, there, there are people that, uh, that are serving the poor. There are people that you know, run seminars like we've just heard, like CAP or the parenting course, their alpha course, whatever it is. So as a church, we are influencing and standing up in this culture and saying and pointing to the one that gives us courage to stand and be different. You see, the gospel is very, very challenging because it, it, it talks very different to the world. It, it says, you see, your provision comes from God. You're receivers, not graspers. God is talking about that you are receiving life, and because you're receiving life, you can't grab it everywhere and, and say that into this culture, into this business-driven culture where we look for tasks and, and tick off whether we've reached them, the goals that are being set for us, and there's this driving force wanting us to work and work harder and work harder. And there is us standing up, the gospel saying, no, you receive, and therefore you can give. You can be generous because there's always more. And to finish off, I just want to point here to Philippians 1, 18 to 21, because Paul is again encouraging us to be full of courage. He's saying, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So what Paul is saying is he understood something. Jesus has delivered me from the fear of death. I do not fear death any longer. Therefore, I do not have to hang on and cling to dear life, for, for dear life, because I'm free. If I live, wonderful, to live is Christ. And wherever I go, I live Christ. People see Christ's kindness because I can be kind, because the spirit of courage and kindness is on me. If I live, I live generously because the spirit of courage and generosity is on me. Christ is on me. If I live, I can forgive those who hurt me. I won't be offended because the spirit of courage and forgiveness is upon me. Just read through 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't count wrongs, doesn't hold on to wrongs, but forgives. So for me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I die, I'm with Christ. I know where I'm going. So Paul lives that freedom. He draws on the courage that the Spirit will give. And I want to really challenge us tonight to just uh, you know, run with the knowledge that whatever we face this year, let's fix our eyes on God's calling, what he wants to birth through St. Saviors all around us, wherever you go. And it's not just your personal story, it's our story together. And we can encourage one another when things are rough and tough, but also when things are easy and going well. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your kindness and the way that you are putting your arms around us as a community. I thank you, Lord, for your protection and for your strength, whether it is easy in life or whether we are challenged, whether the circumstances are smooth or rocky, whether the waves are high or whether the sea is just flat like a mirror. I thank you, God, that you are with us in all our circumstances and that the circumstances aren't Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And Lord, I pray for everyone who's going through easy times at the moment to take courage and to be challenged, to stand up in this culture and make a difference and seek out how to actually live that gospel life of courage and generosity and forgiveness, reconciliation, peace. And Lord, I pray for those who are going through the struggles and, and strong winds and are faced by hard circumstances, that you build their courage too, and that they know that to live is Christ and to die is gain, and that they know that you have their lives in your hands, and that they know that you are using even their story in this moment to shine your glory through them because they're a testimony to your faithfulness even in the hard times. So pray for mercy on all of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.